I'm speaking with Emily Tallon. Emily is an urban planner who directs the Urbanism Lab at the University of Chicago. The Urbanism Lab studies the built environment and its meaning and impact. Its research focuses on social, cultural, and political movements aimed at improving the quality of the built environment. Of particular interest is the notion of sustainable urbanism and the ability of cities to be places of vibrancy, social diversity, and neighborhood identity. So I'd like to start by talking a little bit about your background. Where did you grow up? So I grew up all over the Midwest in different cities, including Chicago, Erie, Pennsylvania, Buffalo. I had one of those dads climbing the corporate ladder and just kind of yanking the family around as he was climbing up. But yeah, so Midwest and mostly suburbs. What was that experience of moving around so many times as a child like? Well, according to my dad, it was just a great character builder, but <laughs> according to me, it was pretty awful. Luckily, I came from a big family, a lot of siblings, and we would become very close whenever we moved. So that was the upside, but it was hard. I went to three different high schools and I was always the new kid, but somehow I came out of it alive. <laughs> and how would you say that helped to shape you? What lessons do you think you took away from that? Actually, I think a lot about this because one thing about me and that's kind of defined my interest in and my career is a real effect that places have on me. Like whether or not a sidewalk is wide enough for pedestrians, really, I care about that. And even just the way the city's put together and then inside my own house, I'll fret about the placemaking going on in an interior room. So possibly, I don't know this for sure, but maybe all this moving around, I developed a heightened sensitivity to my environment. That's one theory I have to be tested. That actually makes a lot of sense to me. I think that you do notice things more when you've lived in different places and you have that sense of comparison. Yeah, could be, could be. Why the interest in cities in particular and urbanism? Where did that develop? Well, I first noticed it when I was in college, actually, and I spent a half a year in Paris as a study abroad student. And it was my first time in Europe, and I had no experience with how great cities could be. And it was a real game changer for me because I just spent six months walking every inch of Paris, and I was just completely blown away by how great it was. And so right after that experience, I was signed up to get a master's degree in city planning because I wanted to be a city planner. I wanted to transform American sprawl into Paris. I don't know, maybe that was my initial thinking, but that's what started the ball rolling. Was it a letdown coming back to the United States after having that experience in Paris? I think it was. I mean, I first landed in New York, so that was exciting. And then I ended up in Columbus, Ohio to do a master's there. And I don't think I really thought about how terrible American cities were until I got a job in Dallas. <laughs> That's when I realized how really dreadfully awful sprawl is and the way we spread across the land in America, how really disheartening that can be. That's when it occurred to me. How did it feel when you were actually working as a planner, having to kind of balance your ideals with that reality that you were experiencing on the ground? 
Well, my first job as a planner was in the city of Santa Barbara, and that's a beautiful place. And so the problem there was kind of boredom because it's just so beautiful and well-planned. <laughs> so you're looking around like, what am I supposed to do? Because it's already kind of perfect. Not really true. I mean, they have a tremendous affordability problem. So that was all fine. But then when I worked there, I started to realize that all these plans that planners do never actually get implemented. And so I went back to school and got a PhD in urban geography. And my topic that I was really interested in was to try to figure out why is there such a gap between plan making and implementation? Why do we do all these plans and don't actually implement them? And I saw that as part of the problem of American cities really not being all that great. We have all kinds of great ideas and then we don't follow through. Turns out to be a pretty complicated question to answer. And how impactful does it feel to be able to train people who are then going to go out and be practitioners in the field? That's the best part of the job. Realizing how excited these young folks are in trying to make cities more sustainable, more walkable, lots of interest in social justice, connecting the built environment to social causes. So there's just all this energy and enthusiasm. And I try to not be too pessimistic about how daunting it is to actually change American cities. In a Western capitalist democracy such as ours, you can't just go out and make your plan and expect them to happen. But yeah, no, that's the best part of the job for sure. And what was it that has brought you to Chicago at this point in your career? So I was at the University of Illinois, and then I was at Arizona State University for a number of years. And so this is really going to be the last phase of my career. And I got a job being pretty much the only urban planning professor at the University of Chicago. And so that's exciting because I get to kind of rule the roost <laughs> on that topic, but I'm not in a department. The University of Chicago doesn't do anything practical like planning and architecture and engineering. Well, they have molecular engineering, but they don't have regular engineering. So this was a chance to kind of be at a great university in a fantastic town and try to do what I can to push the urban planning perspective. How does the experience of being in Chicago impact your work because of the fact that it is a major city? I mean, it's just such a great laboratory. That sounds a little cliche, but Chicago has been studied a lot. And there's a reason for that because it's got some regularities that are so interesting, starting with its incredible diversity of neighborhoods, its incredible rags to riches story, its ups and downs. It's got every social complexity imaginable. And it's not as daunting as something like New York, which is wonderful too, but New York can be kind of overwhelming. So it's just a wonderful city to study. And in fact, most of my research is about Chicago because how could it not be? Do you find yourself building a lot on the tradition of urban sociology at the University of Chicago? Yes, actually, that comes into play quite a bit. In fact, I'm just embarking on a study right now looking at how the community areas were defined by the University of Chicago sociologists back in the 1920s and how those community areas actually have such incredible staying power and 
the city still uses them. The city has no official designation of neighborhoods. The city uses community areas. What I'm interested in studying is really how relevant are those community areas now. And so we can go back and look at the maps that were constructed to generate those community areas and the boundaries that they used and kind of compare the demographic situation in the 1920s and then 100 years later. So that's pretty interesting, I think, too. So the work that those folks did back in the 20s is still palpable and still used and still worthy of exploration. I find it interesting to you how those community areas have come up so much in popular imagination of how people really define the city and the mental maps that they create of it. Yes, yes. And in the end, they're really just lines on a map, right? But why do they stick the way they do? Some of the terms don't make sense. They have long lost names that nobody knows where the names came from. But yeah, there's a lot to study and explore there with those as just a piece of geographic history. What has your experience been like of living in Chicago? Well, I've lived here eight years and I'm on my fifth different place. So I've been moving around because my husband and I have been trying to kind of settle on where we want to live. And we've lived in Printer's Row. We've lived in River North, mostly all on the north side we've been. But now we're in Lincoln Park, which is the neighborhood I have to say I love the most. But it's got a lot of challenges too. It's losing its diversity. I see that all around me. And that kind of breaks my heart. There's some real challenges with the development practices that go on in Chicago. Since that's my career and field of interest, I can just walk down the street and see a hundred different issues that need to be studied and explored and planned for. It's interesting too how Lincoln Park is losing a lot of its density as homes are being converted from say like two and three flats into single family homes or homes are being torn down to build larger houses on multiple lots and just all those phenomena like that. Oh my gosh, nothing makes me more crazy than that. It's really, really so outrageous that wealthy people can swoop in and buy up housing units that are so desperately needed, tear them down for a side yard. I just cannot believe that that's allowed. And I've been a bit involved with Preservation Chicago. They've really been leading the way on having petitions and lobbying and advocacy to stop this practice. And in fact, last year, we had a symposium at the University of Chicago that I organized on this topic. It was about single family zoning and equity and density. And how is it that we can have single family housing around transit stations? How is that even allowed? Why aren't we promoting density around transit and making sure that people aren't allowed to get rid of housing units. Now, in some areas of the city, they have been successful. You must know at stopping this practice around the 606, there's a deconversion ordinance that was done and a few other places that got extended a bit last year to other areas, but it's not happening in places like Lincoln Park because the city has this theory, well, for neighborhoods that are already gentrified, let's not even bother. But I disagree. I think those are exactly the places where you should try your best to diversify. Do you think, too, that so much of the fact that development is influenced by the input of local alder people is also part of the problem? 
Yeah, the whole political apparatus in Chicago is a challenge. Some alder people in Chicago are really outstanding and doing amazing things. And this is why it's kind of a catch-22 because where they're really wonderful, you want them to have the power to be able to do things and do things quickly. And when it goes the right way, it's all good. But then you get the older people that are not progressively minded, are not focused on the need for sustainable urbanism and the need to densify around transit. And then it's like a big roadblock has been put in the way of doing the right thing and making the kind of changes that need to happen. What do you see as being the biggest challenges right now facing Chicago and maybe by extension other U.S. cities? Well, I would have to put housing at the top of the list, affordable housing. 75% of affordable housing has no subsidy whatsoever. And so those units, we call them NOAAs, naturally occurring affordable housing, which is a weird term, but anyway, that's the term that's used. They're disappearing. One reason is what we were just talking about, the situation in Lincoln Park, but there's other ways that they're being lost through gentrification, through teardowns of all kinds, and putting up luxury condo buildings. So losing that kind of natural affordability I think is issue number one for American cities. It's just creating all kinds of trickle down harmful impacts, like suddenly you don't have enough density for transit to be sustained. Suddenly the local corner store can't be sustained because you don't have enough density or people who can live affordably. Where can the school teacher live? There's no affordable housing near the school. It's just like this whole domino effect when you don't make sure that a diverse set of people with diverse income levels can live in the city and live near transit. What do you think are a couple of ways that that can be addressed potentially? Well, I think you need to, first of all, completely get rid of any single family zoning, especially around transit. There shouldn't be any you should make it easy for people to develop accessory dwelling units on their lot. You should make that super easy. You should get rid of all the burdensome regulation involved in trying to do that. You should stop allowing demolition for these conversions into single family homes or side yards that shouldn't even be allowed in transit areas. So there's some things you can do that are incentivizing and also prohibiting this kind of loss of density and then loss of affordability. And how do you think the pandemic has helped to exaggerate some of those challenges potentially? Well, the pandemic was really stressful for a lot of renters in particular. When the protections wore off, people getting evicted. So that's also contributing to the problem. The strain on retail and small business and mom and pop stores, that has not been helping. But I mean, I agree with Biden that we're coming out of that now. There's a rebound going on. We just have to make sure that the rebound is equitable and doing sustainable things, not just allowing wealthy white people to move to the city and just kind of tear down and make it their own kind of little pleasure garden. What opportunities do you see for cities arising out of this shift to hybrid work in the way that that's changing commuting patterns and changing land uses in downtown areas? 
that's a huge challenge. The downtown office space has just been really struggling. As people know, I've seen various statistics, but something like half of office space is vacant in a lot of cities. And then, of course, there's an obvious thing to do, and that is to turn it into housing, but it's not that simple. A lot of these buildings were not built to be housing. They were built to be offices, and that is presenting a lot of challenges for that conversion to happen. It is happening, but just not as fast as it needs to be. But I think it could bode well for neighborhood nodes rather than everyone relying on this big urban core, just like we do in Chicago in the loop. You still need to have your loop and your strong center, but I think kind of backing off that need for the loop could energize smaller scale development in a more multinodal kind of way and help with small businesses that are at the neighborhood scale, help energize some of these main streets that have really been challenged and are suffering. So maybe that'll help. That's what I hope. In closing, amidst all these challenges, what are the things that really give you hope for U.S. cities as we move forward? I have hope that people, no matter what, even with the pandemic and people needing to stay home and remote work and all of these sort of ways of pulling the city apart, people still really want to be together and people want to interact and people want to have a social life and they want to shop at the local mom and pop and they want to go to their corner pub and they want to do all these socially connective collective kind of activities and lifestyles. And I don't see that going away anytime soon or ever. That's just an innate human trait. So I think as urban planners, we need to try to enable that and facilitate that impulse as much as we can through our policies and through our activism. Well, thank you for taking time to talk today. It's really been a pleasure speaking with you. Oh, you're welcome. Nice to talk to you.